Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes. And Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit and speak into each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. So at the last, over the last couple of months here at Christchurch, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes, in Matthew's Gospel. And this morning we're going to try to gather it all together and see how it applies to our lives as individuals and to us as a church. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. These are the men and women who heard his call to follow him, and they did. In Matthew 4.17, he says, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus is calling people to leave their old way of life and live a new life following him. Then at the beginning of chapter 5, we see Jesus going up onto the mountain and speaking to these men and women who've chosen to follow follow him. And and it's important to get that he's speaking to his disciples. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to his disciples. This is personal. It's about a lifestyle as followers of Jesus. And it's a lifestyle where, bit by bit, gradually, we're transformed by the Holy Spirit to take on more of the heart, more of the character, more of the life of Jesus. And it's a a lifestyle where we make choices step by step each day. And if we do put Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes into practice in our lives, it is very attractive. Several years ago, I led a church in Coventry, and um, there was an elderly lady there called Jill. And um, she was a remarkable woman. She, um, in her younger days, she'd been a teacher. And she, um, in, in the holidays, 
she had um, smuggled Bibles into North African countries. And, and in the holidays, she'd go on sort of missionary journeys, just like the Apostle Paul, and encourage the disciples, the little, little groups you know, who'd, of people who'd become Christians. And then when I knew her, when she was older, she felt God call her onto the estate where our church was. And um, she, she'd, I think she'd been an English teacher. Anyway, in her house, she invited international students along, and together with others, she taught them English using the Bible. And many, many young people, many, many young people became Christians through her. And um, she was single. She'd never got married. She didn't have any children. But her home was a hub of young people. It was so warm, so friendly. You know, on Christmas Day, she'd have over 25 young people there with her, you know, away from home, but home with her. And uh, she, was, she was just wonderful. And Jill was a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And she put Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes, into practice in her life. And it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So how can we live out the Beatitudes in our lives? So we're going to, in a moment, look briefly at each of the Beatitudes and see how we can put them into practice. But we're first going to begin by taking a general look at our thoughts and our attitudes. One of the key choices we make every day is in the area of the thoughts we think and our attitudes. And it's important to grasp that the way we live our lives and our actions flow from our thoughts and our attitudes. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus calls his followers to radically change the way they think. Radically change the way they think to let go of a mindset that's shaped by the world and the society and culture around us, and to replace it by th thoughts and attitudes that are based on the person and the teaching of Jesus. And as we do that, the ac our actions and the way we live our lives will change. And that applies to us as individuals, and that applies to us as a whole church. Jesus calls us to pay attention to what we're thinking. Now, you might think that's a strange suggestion. You might think you know what you're thinking, but do we? The psalmist says in Psalm 51.6, surely you desire truth in my innermost being. And then in Psalm 19.12, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Sometimes we're blind to the sin in our life and our sinful attitudes. Often our sins are not hidden because they're so small that we don't notice them. Often they're hidden because they're so characteristic of us. They're normal to us and they become a way of life and we're blind to them. We could take each of the Beatitudes in turn, but there are hard questions we need to ask ourselves. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Several years ago, I genuinely prayed this prayer. I didn't just read it as part of my Bible reading, but I really prayed it. And I began to consciously focus on my thought life. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I became more and more aware of what I was thinking. You know, as I walked along the road, as I was pottering around the house, 
as I was with people. And um, I was shocked at some of the thoughts I was having that I was habitually having. Now, I'm not going to tell you what those thoughts are. You can, I don't want to even begin by imagining it, but I'd, I'd invite you to pray that prayer. For, you, and just begin to think, actually, what am I thinking? And um, it's very, very revealing. Our thought life is a battlefield. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Satan questions our identity and security as children of God, just as he questioned the sonship of Jesus in the desert. And he tempts us to put our security and our worth and our value in our money, our possessions, our career, those sorts of things. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us the fullness of life that flows from following him. And so as we briefly look at each beatitude in turn, let's be open to Jesus showing us what's actually going on in our hearts and in our thoughts. If we have a teachable spirit, if we're truly open to the Holy Spirit, then bit by bit, little by little, he'll show us areas of our life where we need to repent and change our thinking and attitudes. So here goes, we're going to cycle through them. Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who are the poor in spirit? We have to understand the Old Testament background. God had a heart for the poor, the literal poor, in economic need, as he still does. And the reason for that was that They were exploited by the rich and powerful. They needed to depend on God. So the poor in spirit came to mean those people who really depended on God for everything they need. And we are called to be dependent on Jesus in every aspect of our lives, absolutely every aspect. It's a life of humility It's a life where we move little by little from independence to dependence on Jesus. And that is not the way of the world. Our culture says we must look out for ourselves. We can improve ourselves and we can improve our lives by our own efforts. And that's not the way of the kingdom of heaven. We're called to live a life walking with Jesus. And we depend on him for absolutely everything, for our our security and worth and comfort as children of God, for our relationships, for our material needs, for the transformation as we take on more and more of his character, for strength to reach out to others with the love of Jesus. So the question for us all is, am I doing that? Are you doing that? Are you dependent, truly dependent on Jesus in every area of your life? It's possible for us to become Christians and then functionally carry on just as anybody else in our society, relying on our own strength, valuing the things that the world values and living independently of Jesus. And what about us as a church? How dependent are we on Jesus? If you think about any ministry or activity that you're involved in, how much do we go through the motions 
of running that activity? And how much do we totally depend on Jesus for his presence, for his guidance, for his strength, and for his provision? I'm asking the questions. I'm not going to give all the answers. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God cares deeply about every loss that we experience in our lives, whether it's somebody we love dies or we lose our job or, or whatever loss we experience. And in 2 Corinthians 1, we're told that God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. But in this beatitude, what, what Jesus is chiefly getting at is about those who mourn the sin in their lives, who have deep grief over the way that they've offended God. All our selfishness, all our independence, all our unkindness, all our unforgiveness hurts us and hurts other people and offends God, grieves God. And God loves us. And part of the way he loves us is for the Holy Spirit to show us where we're walking in sin in our lives. And Jesus calls us to repent, to, to turn from walking away from him and to turn back to walking with him again. And Jesus promises God's comfort when we do that. I don't know about you, but as I go on in my Christian life, I'm becoming more and more aware of my sin and that would be so bleak if the Holy Spirit didn't also minister his comfort. Do we mourn our sin as individuals? Do we have a lifestyle of ongoing repentance where we're constantly turning more and more towards Jesus? And do we take time to receive the comfort of God? And what about us as, us as a church? Do we have deep relationships where we can be truly honest about what's going on in our lives and what we're struggling with? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who are the meek? What's their attitude? It's somebody who finds their identity and their security in their relationship with Jesus. And the background to this is Psalm 37. Meekness is the opposite of pride and arrogance. A meek person doesn't envy anybody else. They don't need to squash anybody down in order to make themselves feel better. They don't need to throw their weight around. They know who they are in Christ. They know they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They know that everything they have comes from God. And they are content. And this sets us free to value other people that we encounter as precious and made in the image of God. Do we know deep in our hearts how precious, precious we are to God? Do we value everyone we encounter as precious to God and made in his image? And as a church, are we secure in our identity and calling as the people of God in this place? 
Do we value other churches and celebrate their ministries? Or are we tempted to compare ourselves with other churches? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. The righteousness that Jesus is talking about here is righteousness of character and conduct that pleases God. Jesus was completely righteous. His character was and is beautiful. Everything he said, everything he did, pleased God. None of us have got anything like that holiness and character like Jesus, but we are promised that gradually, bit by bit, as we follow Jesus, we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit to take on more and more of the beauty of his character. We're called to walk with Jesus in obedience. It's good and right for us to hunger for social justice and righteousness in our world and to work for it. We're called to work for it. But Jesus warns us later on in the Sermon on the Mount not to judge others without first paying attention to the unrighteousness in our own lives. In Jesus' words, to remove the plank from our own eyes so that we can see others clearly. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Most of the time in the West, we've got more than enough food, more than enough to drink. In fact, the only, we might feel a bit, you know, our tummies might begin to rumble a bit if lunch is late. If I talk for too long, your tummies might begin to rumble. But just imagine if you went without food for a couple of weeks. Just imagine if you went without water or anything to drink for a day or two. Just imagine how hungry and thirsty you would be. Are you hungry and thirsty like that for Jesus? Am I? As a church, are we hungry and thirsty like that for Jesus? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Our God is merciful. When we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we are forgiven for all our sins and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We become members of God's family as dearly loved children. But God never intended mercy and forgiveness to stop there. He calls us to be merciful and to forgive. This doesn't mean when we forgive that we're saying that what's been done to us or what's been said to us is okay. But it does mean that we refuse to punish the person in any way that's hurt us. We let them go. We release them from the debt they owe us to treat us well. We wipe the slate clean. It's in the big things and the little things. I know that this is one of the things I found hardest to do when I first became a Christian. When I grew up in my family, forgiveness just wasn't one of the things that I was taught and that we did. But when I became a Christian, God put me in a situation at work which was, there were some really, really difficult things. And I, was, I, I felt, God, you know, this is really difficult. But at the same time, God put a wonderful, godly mentor in my life 
who really challenged me about unforgiveness. And that has been one of the blessings of my Christian life, to learn how to forgive quickly and not take offense. I'm not perfect, I'm still learning. What about us? Do we let the Holy Spirit search our hearts? Are we holding on to unforgiveness in any area of our life? And what about us as a church? Are there things that have happened corporately where we need to release forgiveness and and be set free for this wonderful new season that God's got in store for us? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The Old Testament background to this is in Psalm 24. The, the pure in heart are those who are fully committed to God with an undivided heart. They're not looking for approval or meaning in anything other than their relationship with God. They're sincere. They're not fake. They don't put on a mask. They don't alter who they are depending on who they're with. If we step by step, learn to fix our eyes on Jesus, as we gaze on him, as we worship him, as we walk with him, then bit by bit we will see more of who he truly is. We'll see his beauty. As I was preparing this talk, this is the beatitude that captivated my heart. I long to be more and more committed to Jesus, to have a truly undivided heart, to see more and more of who he is. What about us? What about us as a church? How authentic and honest are our relationships with one another? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God is a peacemaker. Jesus came to reconcile us to God through his bloodshed on the cross. We become friends of God. And we're called to be like God. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, to work for peace in our families, in our workplace, in the communities to which he calls us, in the church. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It refers to wholeness in relationships, good, healthy relationships. When God reconciled us to him, it was costly. Jesus gave his life. And when we work as peacemakers, it's costly. It's time-consuming. People can misunderstand us. It can be difficult. But the reward is great. We will be called children of God. So the question for us all is, am I a peacemaker? Do I actively get involved in seeking to reconcile people in relationships which I'm involved in? And what opportunities are there for us as a church to get involved in peacemaking in our community? There is, um, it occurred to me just this morning that there is such a need in our country, isn't there now? with the political situation, there's such a need to bring reconciliation in families, in friendships, and in our wider society. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus expects us to have a hard time as we follow him. 
Enjoying God's favor and receiving his blessing doesn't mean life is always going to be easy. As we grow in our character and become more like Jesus and do the things he asks us to do, some people are really not going to like that and they're going to try and stop us. And in some parts of the world, as we all know, Christians die for their faith. But for us in the West, it mostly takes the form of insults or working against what we're trying to do in the name of Jesus. And Jesus challenges us to rejoice in the midst of suffering. We see the apostles doing that in Acts 4. When Peter and John had healed a crippled man and were dragged before the religious court, the Sanhedrin, when they were let go, they didn't ask the other disciples for sympathy They didn't sort of say, oh, poor me. They just got back in there and prayed that they could speak God's word boldly and that they would see signs and wonders from God. What about us? How do we pray when we're insulted or put down or whatever it is for saying or doing things in the name of Jesus? Is our first prayer to get back in there and be bold in speaking Jesus' word and seeing the kingdom come in power? Or do we pray for comfort and protection so that we don't get hurt again for Jesus? I know which I'm tempted to do. And what about us as a church? How bold are we at speaking God's word? And how often do we pray in faith in the words of the apostles? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So, to sum it all up, Jesus calls us in the Beatitudes to radically change the way we think and radically change our attitudes, to choose to let go of a mindset that's shaped by the world and the culture around us, and choose to take on a mindset that is shaped by the person of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And the way we live our lives with Jesus is going to be flowing out of those thoughts and attitudes. Jesus has great plans for our lives and for us as a church. It's a life of closely walking with Jesus. It's a life where we're cherished and secure as children of God. It's a life of joy in all its fullness. And God promises his presence on the journey. And we also need each other. We need to support and encourage one another along the way. And it's a lifelong journey. The Holy Spirit will be with us powerfully at work in us, transforming our hearts and our characters to be more like Jesus. And God will get the glory. Amen.